Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's Martha and Ashley. And since we've talked with you, a lot of things have happened um, in the Dear Nikki Mama world. You know, we're coming off of our event, the Hope of Healing After NICU. And uh, I know Ashley probably feels the same way, but it's it was just uh, incredibly emotional. We had the opportunity to meet so many, I mean, hundreds of incredible women. Um, we are just I think, overflowing with gratitude from that event. So if you were a part of it, thank you so much for being there. Um, and a special thank you to Parishat Deshpande. Um, she was fantastic. But I don't know about you, Ashley, but like I am still kind of exhausted and yet still writing a high from it too. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, so I one of the, the ways we thought would be a great way to kick off um, this season and uh, to kind of follow up that event would be to talk with someone we've had a relationship for a while. She shared uh, on the Dear Nikki Mama channels before, but it's Ebony Ford. Um, and Ebony, can you say hi? Hello, everyone. <laughs> you are like a celebrity to she us, is. truly. Oh, no, you, she, she is a celebrity in this kind of Nikki Mama world. I mean, Ebony is the founder of And She Shall Reign, which is a play on her daughter's name, Rain. Um, and she has an in- incredible resources for micropremie parents and, and families with NICU babes and medically complex kiddos. And, um, you know, there's also infertility and loss are a part of her journeys, too. So she really is just um, an incredible resource and a beacon of light for a lot of us in this community. Uh, she's also an ambassador for March of Dimes. She's been featured in some of their um, campaigns, which has been really cool. I was like, oh my gosh, I know Ebony. Um, so Ebony, thank you so much for being here today. We're so grateful that you take the time. First of all, we'd love to know who you guys are introducing because <laughs> you're way too kind, but I am so excited to be here with you guys. I leaped at the opportunity. I was honored mm-hmm. and humbled that you guys would want to interview me and hear about my story. So I'm excited to get into it. Oh, girl, we've wanted to interview for a long time too. We've always like talked about it and it finally worked out with all of our schedules to do it. So I'm so, so, so excited to share your story. Yeah, this is going to be great. So, Ebony, I feel like, you know, with all of our mamas, uh, but for you in particular, I'd really like to start at the beginning of your journey with you and your husband deciding to start a family and what that looked like for you. Sure. So we were married fairly young. We were 25, uh, best friends first, you know, just in love, head over heels. And Mm -hmm. um, we got married in October of 2012. And everything was perfect. Uh, We kind of knew right then and there that we wanted a family and we wanted a family very soon. And Mm -hmm. it happened very, very, very soon. Um, So we were excited. Our first pregnancy was, I mean, absolutely amazing. Um, Completely uneventful until about 20 weeks. um, I was introduced um, to some symptoms that I just never experienced before. I had like 
rashes on my face. My skin was going crazy. My joints mm. were aching and I knew it was like beyond normal pregnancy stuff. So um, my doctor ran some tests and long story short, we found out that I have lupus. Um, mm. Particular form is called SLE. So it just comes with some, you know, it came with joint pain and rashes and things like that, but it was pretty subdued. Um, for the rest of my pregnancy, which unfortunately ended at 32 weeks in a cord accident stillbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had our first daughter. Um, her name is Selah. We named her Selah. Um, Selah was born at 32 weeks. Um, and of course, moving on from that was, um, I don't think you ever move on. So I'm not sure if that's the right yeah. word. Yeah. You know, we just tried to keep life moving, you know, keep it rolling. So of course, we knew I, at that time I, I still had it in me. I'm like, I really, really want another baby now. Like, I, I don't know what happened here. I don't know, but let's try again. And we tried again and it happened immediately. Pregnant again. That particular pregnancy ended at 14 weeks, early loss, no other, you know, real genetic indicators of anything being wrong. So then, you know, we stepped back and said, okay. Something is very, very wrong here. Maybe we just need to focus on each other and, you know, just being married without being pregnant because pregnant wife is different from (laughs) wife. So, you know, non pregnant for a while. Mm -hmm. And we did. We focused on ourselves. I was able to finish my degree. Um, My husband, um, who is a gospel uh, musician and recording artist, he was able to work on his music and keep doing what he was doing. And we just moved on with life. We traveled, we had a great time. And then, boom, we find out we are pregnant again two years later. And we're like, okay, uh, this is nice, but I don't know if I'm ready was my my feeling. Um, first scan, found out we were having twins, and that changed mm-hmm. everything. I was like, Whoa. oh, my God, this is amazing. It's almost like I got everything you know that I lost it's almost like I got it back in one shot like wow you know twins wow this is amazing Mm. um there were some early indicators that there were issues um within that pregnancy there were obvious issues um within our ultrasounds about 15 weeks uh, we were able to see that there were major issues with the placenta um twin b was just not receiving um you know, as much blood flow through the cord as it should have been. Um, and the syndrome is called twin to twin transfusion, where basically one twin receives way too much or maybe a normal amount of nutrients and the other is sort of deprived. So their growth is stunted, you know, different things happen. And it was a pretty, pretty extreme case. Um, unfortunately, twin A, who was the you know, recipient of all things began to show signs of heart failure and twin B Mm -hmm. began to show signs of, you know, severe malnutrition. So unfortunately that Mm -hmm. pregnancy ended at 22 weeks Mm -hmm. and we were completely devastated. Mm -hmm. Um, It took months on months for us to even be able to wake up in the morning and just get going. Like we would just sit on the edge of the bed and just kind of stare at the walls for a minute. Like, Oh, do I have to do this thing again today? Like life, I don't feel yeah. like it uh, was just kind of the, the vibe for about six months or so. But again, we found the will to just get up and, you know, hold on to one another, which one thing I can credit to my marriage is that I feel like we are, our last name is Ford and we have like a little 
running joke that we're built for it tough. We were built for it tough, literally. Oh, um, yeah. so we were able to come together, hold on to, you know, hold on to one another. We traveled. We just had a great time. Um, and we were like, okay, this kid thing's not going to happen. It's cool. Let's look into adoption. So mm-hmm. we did all the research, um, talked to some people who had experience. Um, and in September of 2017, I started the ball rolling uh, with an adoption lawyer. We were going to, you know, just, just look at our options. We began saving money. And around the first week of October, I began feeling sick. Like just something was not right. I was tired. I was wiped out. And of course, having lupus, I attributed to that. Well, two weeks later, my husband begged me after weeks of symptoms, begged me to take a pregnancy test. And I was like, no, nope, I can't see another negative test. I can't. Yeah. I can't do it. I don't even want to think about it as nice as it would be. I don't want to have I don't want to get pregnant unless I am bringing a baby home from the hospital. That was my whole thing. I can't leave the hospital without another baby. Like my heart can't take it. And he was like, it's going to be okay. You know, you just have to trust and believe everything's going to be fine. Well, three days before our appointment with the, um, with the adoption lawyer, I kind of got this kick in my gut. Like you need to find out if you're pregnant or not. And I knew our anniversary, our fifth wedding anniversary was coming. So of course we were going to celebrate and, you know, go out to dinner. And I'm like, yeah, I need to find out what's going on here. So I waited two more days. My nerves just wouldn't let me. And finally my husband called me. He was like, do it, do it. I know you have some <laughs> in the house, do it, do it. So if you've ever, if anyone's ever dealt with infertility, you know, that when you're done, you kind of hide all of the things that remind you of it, but you don't always get rid of it. So I had like a stash of tests in the back of my bathroom cat. <laughs> so I looked at them, yes. I was like, are you expired? What's going on? They were fine. So uh, we took it. And before I could sit the test down on the cabinet, it popped up pregnant. We were like, wow. Whoa. Okay uh this changes everything so needless to say we never met with that adoption lawyer and our fifth anniversary was amazing not because we didn't want to adopt because we still had plans to do that but because we just felt like we would be biting off way too much in that moment Mm -hmm. so we just decided to halt you know our adoption journey and let's see what would happen with this pregnancy so it started off amazing Uh, We found out very early on, I was so anxious. I got a blood test and at nine weeks, I found out I was having a girl. So a lot of the bows and things you see are things I brought when I was like nine, 10 weeks. Oh, Rain's bows are infamous. I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, she's she's kind of known for her bows and her little sense of fashion, but it, it started, it's my fault. I started, as soon as I found out I was having a girl, I brought a ton of stuff not just because I wanted to shop but because for me it was like an act of faith you know I had like avoided baby sections and baby showers for years friends good friends that I love I was unable to go to their shower because I didn't want to be a burden and I knew I couldn't be there without getting emotional 
So I finally got the courage to walk into the baby section. I cried the whole time, (laughs) but I was able to buy things and I was just like, yeah, okay, let me start preparing for my baby. And that's kind of how I kept myself hopeful that everything would be okay. And my pregnancy was beautiful. Um, Very little sickness. Um, I got my energy back really early. It was just a beautiful, beautiful time. Um, I got all the genetic testing. Everything looked great. My lupus went into remission, which was awesome. So I felt better than I had felt in years. And um, at 24 weeks, um, as I stated before, my husband's a gospel recording artist. So there's an award show called the Stellar Awards, which is for gospel artists. So they were, it was hosted in Las Vegas. Oh my gosh. And we were super excited um, to go out there. But I wanted to make sure that it was okay to fly. Um, I knew second trimester, typically, you know, it's fine to fly, but just because we've had so many issues, I just wanted to be absolutely sure. So I was already seeing a high risk doctor um, due to the previous losses, as well as having lupus. And this particular day, she got called into an emergency C-section. So I had to see one of her um, uh, resident doctors. So... Um, the gentleman was very quick. He just did a very quick glance over. Um, I did have a little bit of swelling in my ankles that I brought up and because my blood pressure was okay, he was like, okay, well, I don't think you need to do any blood work or anything this visit, which I typically did every time. Um, that Mm. was the first time I never did it. He was like, yeah, I think you're fine. We haven't seen anything to be concerned about. Go enjoy your trip. So that was all the clearance I needed. You know, he told me to continue to take aspirin, which I was taking to prevent preeclampsia, the irony. And he told me to double up on that and just make sure that I walk on the plane. Don't let like an hour go by without, you know, trying to get a walk, maybe get some compression socks. So that's what I did. And off we went to Las Vegas. First day there was, you know, fine, normal, whatever. I was great. The second day I woke up and noticed quite a bit of like swelling in my face, my hands, uh, my feet were getting really big. They were actually kind of like growing by the hour. And, you know, me and my husband were like, hmm, this is weird. But, you know, he was like, okay, let me know. Like, if you don't feel good, if you want to go to the hospital and at any point, you know, maybe you could just chill out here in the room and you know, I kind of just laid low that second day. The third day, um, I was unable to like lie flat. I couldn't like stand up too quick. I would get dizzy. Mm. I was having a hard time breathing. If I, you know, just taking a few steps, I was kind of like huffing and puffing. And I said to my husband, like, uh, something's off here. Something is very off here. I don't want to believe that this is like third trimester blues coming to get me i i went from feeling completely fine to flying here and now feeling like i can't move without feeling faint so i said to my doctor and i was just like hey i'm in vegas this is what's going on what do you think i should do now we were staying about two weeks um, two weeks i'm sorry about two blocks from an emergency room and every time we went to get food or do something we rode past it and something in me was like maybe you need to go maybe you need to go see what's going Mm. on but then there was another voice saying don't do it don't do it don't do it don't do it so 
So I was like, okay, let me just wait and hear what my doctor has to say. So she finally um, responded to me and she was just like, you know, if you want to be seen there, you can. My recommendation, um, if you feel well enough, is to hurry up, get on the plane and get back here so I can see what's going on with you. I'm on call for the next few days. So, you know, when you arrive, they'll call me. Let's see what's going on. So we flew back uh, to Washington, D.C., and by the time the plane was getting ready to descend, I pretty much slept through the whole flight. Um, and by the time the plane was getting ready to descend, I opened my eyes and realized that my vision was gray, completely oh gray, um, which I thought I was crazy. I was like, what is going on? I kept like rubbing my eyes and I was telling my husband like, we got to go to the hospital. So he had already requested a wheelchair to beat us. Um, to get me off the plane and to take me out. So while he went and got the car and all of that, they wheeled me and we took our luggage home and then we went to the hospital. So upon arriving at the hospital, I went to labor and delivery, which is what you're told to do. Um, if you're over, I think it's like 16 weeks pregnant. Um, so I went to the labor and delivery and um, this is where my involvement in the March of Dimes It's Not Fine campaign comes in. Um, I basically had all of my symptoms pretty much dismissed oh, by oh. a nurse who was there to triage me. She just kept saying, oh, I'm sure you're fine. Oh, I'm sure you're fine. You know, you, yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of heavy anyway. So you're probably not swollen. It's probably oh. just normal. You're fine. And Ebony, can you talk a bit, you know, just for anyone who doesn't know what the It's Not Fine campaign is all about? Sure. So March of Dimes began a campaign called hashtag it's not fine um, as a way to bring awareness to the disparities in maternal health um, especially the racial disparities um, mm -hmm. women of color are three to three to four times more likely to have pregnancy related complications and to die in childbirth mm -hmm. most of it is not anatomical it is mostly because they are not believed when they mm. say i'm in mm. pain i don't feel well mm. something is wrong women of color are just largely not taken seriously and symptoms can go on as you can see in my story and become something far more major um, many have ended in death unfortunately because they were not believed mm. so my story was exactly that um you know had he caught it you know did what he was supposed to do in my appointment maybe taking it a little bit more seriously perhaps my blood work and stuff would have come back and showed that i had signs of you know preeclampsia or help um it would have stopped my trip i would have never gone i could have been in the hospital being monitored and i could have had my baby full term or later in my pregnancy but yeah. unfortunately that did not happen so yeah. mm. um so we return um she takes me to the emergency room the triage nurse takes me to the emergency room there they take me to the triage desk um, immediately you know they take my vitals and the nurse is looking at the i can't see the the numbers that she's looking at but mm. she's like looking at her screen in disbelief and she's like can i switch this to your other arm so she moves the cuff she, you know, unplugs the things. I mean, she's really, I'm thinking she's having real technical difficulties. What was really happening was my blood pressure. Now that I have my medical records, I know that my blood pressure was in the 260s over the 150s. Oh, my word. 
So I had stroke level blood pressure. Ugh, uh, my heart rate was near the 200s. Oh my gosh. And again, I could not see at this point. Ugh. So they called something called a brain attack, which is basically when they think someone is having a stroke or could have a stroke. Um, it's basically a whole new level of alert that happens in the hospital so people came running from everywhere they literally lifted me out of the chair mm-hmm. put me on a gurney and rushed me in the back oh um, and I'll I'll spare all of the details but within about 25 minutes I knew that I definitely had preeclampsia they began mm-hmm. the treatment before we even knew um, so I had I had three IVs going I had magnesium flowing through all three IVs they were literally like pushing it in my veins like we, we got to get it down they would give me blood pressure medicine nothing was touching my blood pressure um so my not my doctor but one of her partners came and he was like hey you know i'm on the floor we're waiting on your doctor to come in um something or other she has something to do but she's coming back meanwhile um you have preeclampsia i can keep you pregnant until about 32 weeks is usually the longest I can do it. And mind you, I'm 26 weeks and five days at this point. So he's like, just prepare yourself to stay in the hospital until you have your baby. Now, of course, I wasn't happy about that, but I was like, uh, okay, all right, I can do that, whatever, whatever it takes. The moment that I made peace with that and my husband began to make phone calls to tell our family what was happening, the doctor rushed back in and said, hey, I just got some more your blood results back not only do you have fluid around your lungs but your kidney uh your kidneys are not working at this point mm-hmm. completely off the chart he said i've never seen anything like this you had to have been in kidney failure for days and he oh. began to ask me when the last time i had you know urinated and i couldn't tell him i mm-hmm. literally could not remember and that's when we realized it must have been several days so they they wow. weighed me in the bed and my weight from my last appointment which was just a week before and that day was about a 40 pound difference Whoa. so they began to push all kinds of diuretics um he also began to tell me that i was in liver failure my liver enzymes were six to seven times mm. what they should be um so he was like you're gonna have to l- deliver today mm-hmm. scratch everything i said we're taking you in a c-section now so let's pack you up and let's take you upstairs and ebony where was your husband was he with you yes he was with me yeah i mean Mm -hmm. i can't imagine how i mean just terrifying for you you have been in and out of the hospitals right you've um you've had so many different circumstances with all your pregnancies and then you're you're back in there again are you just in like fight or flight you know at that point you know i i mean i know a lot of people cry describe it like being in a movie I mean I don't know how was it when you were in the room when you were getting all this news so initially I think I was in fight or flight but the moment he said you have to have your baby today I just broke down crying and I I'm not a a easy nut to crack but I something just hit me like whoa am I getting ready to lose this baby like what is getting ready to happen but as they began to take me upstairs to labor and delivery and, you know, get me prepped for the C-section, my fear shifted from, is my baby going to be okay? To, am I going to be okay? Mm-hmm, because yeah. by all appearances, she's fine. Her her heart rate's fine. She's fine. She's moving. She's kicking. 
I'm the one sick. And um, an ICU doctor came as they were literally, they were like, you know, scrubbing my skin and doing all this stuff really quick to hurry up and get me in the C-section. And the doctor came in and he was like, you know, so we have a plan. Uh, we're going to take you in the C-section. We're going to intubate you. Um, so unfortunately, your husband's not going to be able to be there for the birth. And we're going to keep you intubated for at least the next 24 to 48 hours. We're going to take you to the ICU. You're going to need dialysis. If your liver doesn't turn around, you may need a transplant. Mm. We've got to get your kidneys working. And we're going to work on getting your blood pressure down and getting all of this fluid off of you. And I'm just looking at him like, what is happening here? Mm. How did I? I was just walking around the streets of Las Vegas and now I'm having a baby today. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I didn't know any statistics on 26 weekers. I knew that 24, well, in my knowledge at that time, was that 24 weekers were, you know, viable. So I knew we were past, but I didn't think, you know, we had the greatest chances. And listening to the NICU doctor who was literally talking to me as they were running me down the hall, she's wow. in one ear and she's like, there's a chance of brain bleed. And she's like reading off all these horrible mm. statistics. And I'm like, I didn't need to hear this. Yeah. I didn't need to hear this going into this. I didn't need to hear this. I heard her, but I tried not to take it to heart. And I was just inwardly praying like, God, please, please let me come out of this. Please do not make my husband a widower and a single father mm. all at the same day. Mm. Please don't. Please let me come out of this please let me be okay and that's literally the last thing I remember is they put the mask over my face and knocked me out mm-hmm. so um on March 25th 2018 at 6 53 p.m my daughter Rain Victoria was born weighing one pound 15 ounces mm-hmm. a very long 15 and a half inches <laughs> that is long oh my gosh very long very long for a 26 weeker it's crazy uh, but my husband's like six five, so. <laughs> oh yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she was born kicking and screaming. Uh, they said she wouldn't be born breathing. She was. Mm-hmm. Um, she just she showed all of the signs of a fighter from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually, which I think is amazing, they laid her on me, like on my stomach, for a little <sighs> while. To kind of oh, help wow. her get her, you know, get her set up and all of that. So I thought that was oh, absolutely amazing. Um, that they is did amazing. That. But um, yeah, so the C-section was complete. They took me up to the ICU and it was there that they, you know, began to work to try to get me well. Um, thankfully, my mom, my mom actually took a picture um, of me in that state, which um, wow. I still look at from time to time. It's a sobering reminder Um, No matter how bad I feel or no matter what's going on, to not complain, Um, to see yourself intubated, to see yourself swollen beyond Mm -hmm. recognition, it's just, it's unreal. So, yeah, Yeah, I don't know if, if we, if it helps syndrome really gets enough um, understanding or, or is legitimized enough in, in mainstream for people to really understand how incredibly dire it is for moms it and it can can progress so fast Mm. I mean like you said the fact that you were your kidneys and liver were failing and you literally walked through the doors and had no idea yeah no idea I just knew I didn't feel well and I'd never heard of help syndrome before 
I had it. I only knew about preeclampsia, but mm-hmm. I didn't know much there. I really just thought it was, you know, high blood pressure and pregnancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel I had a reason to know because, again, my blood pressure has always been fairly low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't even think I needed to know it, but yeah. now I think I'm an expert on it. So. <laughs> I bet. I just, uh, I am also a preeclampsia and help survivor, and the, I just am in awe that you were on a plane for that long while having preeclampsia and help syndrome. Because I remember when mine progressed, it was pretty quickly like yours, and. I remember the five-minute drive to the hospital was painful, so I can mm-hmm. only imagine how you were feeling when you arrived at the hospital after your flight, and to have your vision be lost would be so terrifying. I never experienced that. I had more of the upper abdominal pain, but that was one of the first screening questions is, can you see me? Can you see me? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. girl, I am in awe that you were on a plane. It's crazy, but you know what's funny? I didn't have any abdominal pain. I didn't really? Wow. I didn't have it. And I mean, they kept asking me, like, are you sure you don't have pain? And I'm like, no, I don't. All of the stories of the women I've met, they differ, yes. but they're also so much alike right. at the same yeah. time. Totally. Help definitely does not get enough recognition. So, yes. many women, so many women don't know about it, or I've been the first person that they've known mm-hmm. uh, to experience it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was grateful to... Um, thankfully turn around mm-hmm. and that next day around noon I woke up um, still intubated arms and legs tied to the bed oh. um, nobody was in the room with oh. me so it was about 10 10 to 15 minutes where I was just staring at the clock like is somebody gonna come in oh, here what's going on what is happening here and eventually two doctors walk in and they're like, hi, Mrs. Four, you know, are you ready to get your tube out? You stopped your sedation, you know, you turned the corner and they begin to like give me an update. And I'm just looking at them like, get this tube yeah, out, yeah. please. This is uncomfortable. So once the breathing tube came out, we began to discuss, um, you know, everything that had happened and that, that whole period overnight, um, Thankfully, I had an amazingly miraculous turn, but unfortunately, my blood pressure was just still not budging. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was still in the NICU. Um, Labor and delivery was unable to support such a high blood pressure. So um, throughout the rest of that day, they worked to get it down. Simultaneously, um, a NICU nurse came in and gave me an update on my daughter and she's just like she is feisty she is fighting she's kicking (laughs) you know she's like I got to see her before we you know put the CPAP and everything and she's adorable (laughs) that makes me feel better (laughs) yeah so um later that night uh, my blood pressure did well I should say early that morning it was a little after midnight my blood pressure came down enough to go to labor and delivery and then from labor and delivery I got wheeled over to see her for the first time um and it was not only love at first sight but it was like how is a baby this small first of all raising all this cane because she was <laughs> screaming and just how is that possible but just to see her just so um I didn't know what to expect you know, you hear 
they gave me her weight in grams when we were in the NICU. And I'm like, 800-something grams? I'm like, oh, okay, she's probably big. <laughs> okay, good, cool. 800 sounds like a lot. And I saw her, and I was like, what? Mm. It's not that much bigger than my hand. Like, what mm-hmm. in the world? So they assured me, you know, she was doing well. That next day, she had a lung collapse, um, a left lung mm. collapse, mm-hmm. which caused her to go from CPAP to be intubated. And she had a chest tube, um, and she was just very irritable, very just, you know, they kind of warned us not to really touch her because she just was, you know, her stats were just changing with any kind of stimulation or touch. She was just not doing well. So we watched her. She seemed to turn the corner. The chest tube came out. She was put back on CPAP. And then the next day, the other lung collapsed. Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, we're going to put her on the jet ventilator mm-hmm. so they put her on the jet which if you any either if you have experienced it it is very scary mm-hmm. um it makes your baby like vibrate mm-hmm. um it kind of helps get all that gunk out of their lungs but yeah. they can perfect it and they put her on the jet ventilator um but after that uh my darling daughter just turned the complete 360 she started mm-hmm. breathing on her own rhythm over the ventilator <laughs> oh my gosh like, okay maybe we need to take her off and see what she can do and from that day she never went back on the ventilator wow back on cpap um and the rest of our journey in the nicu the the other 80 days were just fairly uneventful she did very very well getting to eating every single milestone she let us know when she was done she pulled a pick line out <laughs> she pulled her um her what she had a g tube and a j tube she pulled the g and the j out at least three times the fourth wow. time one of her nurses was like okay let's see i think she was like 31 like 31 weeks and her nurse was like okay she probably doesn't have her suck reflex, but let's see what she can do. She got her first bottle, and she did over half of her feed on her first bottle. What? Wow. And they realized this little girl, when she's done with something, it's hopeless. After, like, all of these amazing milestones, all I want to say out loud is, and she shall reign. Like, I feel like that's, like, how you cheer for her. And she mm-hmm. shall yeah. reign. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. How did you choose her name? Okay. So <laughs> my husband and I, my husband's initials are RVF. I knew from when we first started dating that if we had kids, I wanted them to have his initials. I just thought his initials were so cool. So I was like, okay, well, we're going to have a whole bunch of R and V kids. So I was like, this is not easy. How are we going to do this? So once I found out, she, actually, like the week before I found out she was a girl, I began reflecting back on like what got us through our infertility journey. And one of them was a scripture um, in the Bible. It's Second Timothy 2 and 12. And it says, if you suffer with him, you'll also reign with him. Wow. So it's basically a testament to, you know, your suffering is not in vain. There's a reason mm. for this. And the name brain just popped out at me. And wow. I was like, this is not common. I didn't know anybody else named Rain at that point. And I was like, Rain, okay, Rain. And then I was like, V, what could be V? And my sister-in-law's name is Victoria. So I'm like, hmm, okay, Rain. 
we suffered. Okay, now we're reigning and we have the victory. So why mm-hmm. not Victoria? So yeah. then Rain Victoria just stuck. And mm-hmm. little did I know that she would literally have this journey that would solidify that her name was absolutely meant to be. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, our journey was fairly uneventful. Um, from that point, we came home um, a day or two shy of 38 weeks, which is also rare. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, that's amazing. Weeker. Yeah, I, they kept saying, your due date, your due date. And I was like, nah, I don't think so. I think she's ready to come home. <laughs> and Rain lets like, you know. <laughs> she does for everything she lets you know. And two days before she was... Um, before she graduated from the NICU, she pulled out her NGT <laughs> for the last time. And her nurse was like, I'm not putting it back in because she's eating. So if she eats all of her feeds, and that was our last task, mm-hmm. for her to eat all of her feeds for two straight days. She had to wake up at night. She had to eat every three hours. She did exactly that, and we brought her home. Wow. Mm. Yeah, so, so after after all those you know, you've had so many experiences. Like you said at the beginning, you were like, I can't come home without a baby again. And I, I know that, I know the feeling, you know, what was it like to bring her home? I mean, I can imagine it was just a wash of so many different types of emotions. It was nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think my husband drove like 15 miles per hour. <laughs> And um, it was also exhilarating. I couldn't believe my life. I couldn't believe the journey was over. But I also felt this other, these these other emotions of like, well, I think people call it survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like, man, I made all these amazing friends, of, you know, in the NICU, these moms who I'm still in touch with till this day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, their their babies aren't doing so well. A lot of their babies regressed. Like, they were supposed to go home at the same time, and they regressed. My baby came in the NICU, like, two or three weeks after their baby, and they're still there. You know, it was kind of like, ugh, I feel terrible. Like, gosh. But then I also began to miss the NICU, which Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd say. Mm -hmm. I began to miss the nurses. We had built such amazing relationships. You know, mm-hmm. I miss these people who I come to see every day for like 12 hours mm-hmm. for three months. I began to miss, you know, that environment. It became weird even while she was home. I caught myself that next morning after her appointment. I was like, so what's how are we going to the NICU? And my husband was like, babe, she's in the backseat. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, why did I say that? <laughs> It's like it's okay. That's been our life, mm-hmm. you know, for the last yeah. three months. That's all we knew. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But thankfully, we brought her home, and she did great. She was amazing. Um, after about two, two months, about ten, ten weeks later, um, she began to develop like cold-like symptoms. Um, just was not herself. And while I was changing her, I realized that she was retracting I could see her muscles pulling in at her ribs and I remember seeing that from when she was first born so I knew mm-hmm. that something was wrong um, so we took her to the emergency room and we found out that she didn't have a cold but she also had croup mm-hmm. which I had never heard of at that time so they admitted her 
Um, and she did well. I think we were there for like three or four days. We brought her home. And I was like, okay, little hiccup. We're fine. And then the next month, there was another hiccup. Mm. Pneumonia. And then the next month, another hiccup. Bronchitis. And then the next month, RSV. Mm. Um, RSV, oh my gosh. pneumonia, bronchitis, all in one. And we spent her first Christmas. She was nine months at this, well, getting ready to turn nine months on Christmas Day. Um, we spent her first Christmas in the PICU, unfortunately. Um, she was on BiPAP. She was just very, very, very sick. And um, as we sat by her side in the pig, anybody who's ever been in the PICU knows that it is not a hopeful place. Like the NICU, mm -hmm. there's like a ray of, you know, like hope and inspiration. The PICU is dark. It is just, it's just not the same thing. And I was not emotionally prepared for that. Um, I was a wreck. I was disappointed because it was her first Christmas. We had so many plans. Mm, you know, yeah. our family was so excited to see her. Some had not seen her in person since she was born. And those plans were completely derailed. But she also went from being my normal happily giggly baby to turning blue, to needing oxygen, mm -hmm. to then needing to be on BiPAP, to then needing to be intubated and just watching her regress back. Um, to this day it's still I can still cry about it today because it was just yeah. so traumatic to just watch her be that ill but just as quickly as she declined was as quickly as she healed as she turned mm -hmm. the corner and she came around um, but through that admission is how we discovered that she had some spots on her lungs um, some of these little fibrous tumors um, showed all on the right side of her lung, inside and outside. So we began to do testing. Um, the testing showed that they were indeed tumors. Um, of course, at that time, we did not know that they were benign. So two days after her first birthday, she went in for her first surgery ever, wow. um, a biopsy. And um, they did a lung biopsy on her. And that's how we found out the tumors were benign, but they were also fibrous tumors. So she was diagnosed with pulmonary fibromatosis. Can't say that too many times. Um, <laughs> and she was put on oxygen as a precaution because she began to have a lot of blue spells. She mm. would be plain crawling and just turn blue at the drop oh of a Oh my gosh, eye. that's so scary. And we couldn't figure out what was going on with her. You know, her lips would turn blue, like under her eyes would go like blue. Like, what is going on with her? So they put her on oxygen and she did so much better. She began to perk up. Uh, we had to isolate her a whole lot more at that point because any little virus, it explained why any, any bug, a cold, anything would just cause her, you know, lungs to completely inflame these airways that always already had tumors partially blocking them are now inflamed so they would completely clamp mm -hmm. which is why her oxygen levels were dropping like that so once we got her on oxygen she began to do amazing um she wasn't getting as sick as easily but we also changed our practices in our home mm -hmm. like you know sanitizing our phones and you know making sure we took off our shoes my husband couldn't touch her. he had to like go straight to the shower when he came home clothes off can't touch her you know we just had to get really extreme but it worked um, you know, it kept her well for the most part. Um, and thankfully, 
and this March, um, shortly before she turned two and shortly before the pandemic started, uh, we were able to weed her oxygen all the way down um, to barely there and just use as needed when she was sick. And we did not need to use that oxygen anymore until about three weeks ago, which was amazing. Um, It's about eight months that she was completely off of oxygen. Oh my goodness, Ebony. Your story has so many incredible layers. I have so many questions. I'm sure you feel the same way, Martha. (laughs) Oh yeah, I've been like writing them down on my phone. I'm like, nope, we have to ask for this. And if I don't get them today, you know, I'll just call you every day. (laughs) (laughs) No, guys, shoot away. Shoot away. What are your questions? You know, I have so many questions about it, but you really touched on this a little bit. You have experienced kind of quite a lot of instances of, of trauma, you know, Um, and a lot of them that we hope we never have to, right, from miscarriage to stillbirth to TTTC and and then, um, you know, NICU journey, and then your own medical trauma. Um, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that, especially as a mom of a medically complex kiddo, you know, where there are doctor's appointments and there are, you have to be more cautious around her, especially in a pandemic. I, um, to be honest with you, I realized, um, back at the day NICU mama events, healing is like long, <laughs> Um, I realized that I have been in fight or flight for the last two and a half years. Yeah. Literally. It's been got to go, got to go, got to keep going, got to do this for her. No, you can't sit. You can't feel. You just got to do. Go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Everyone, um, there's a meme that hits home for me. I share it every now and then on my page. It's a, it's a mom. She's drowning in the water with her hand up. And there's one group of people who are like, I don't know how you do it. You're so amazing. (laughs) Holding her hand like, hello, help me. Mm -hmm. And there's another group like, oh, I wish I could do what you do. And the mom is still sitting there waving her hand like, hello, I'm drowning. Does anybody see, is anybody going to pull me out? And I felt like that's what's happened. You know, Mm -hmm. I just kept going. I kept doing because I knew she needed me. I knew I needed to be her advocate. I knew that. You know, I just couldn't, especially with the um, experience that I had um, with even how I got preeclampsia and health syndrome, the, you know, lack of care, the neglect to, you know, pay attention. I was determined that wasn't going to be her. Mm -hmm. So I fought. I stayed up many nights. I researched. They only even looked into fibromatosis because I had Googled and looked into all of these different, you know, things mm-hmm. she got. Uh, we were able to avoid her surgery because they wanted to do surgery to remove all the tumors. But there was a great risk that she would lose too much lung tissue and would end up with just one lung. And I said, no, that's no, we're not doing that. So I began to look up and I found out that there was a more radical route, which was taking radiation. Well, she did radiation prior to the pandemic. And her tumors have since not grown. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it took me really advocating and searching and it was worth every bit of it. Um, Because I just didn't want to fall victim to that. So I have been in fight or flight and I had a really good cry during that event. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I have, I've gotten lost in not motherhood, but in 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Medically complex parenthood. Mm. You know, it's different when your kid is sick or has different things going on. You know, you're coordinating specialist events and mm. you're dealing with early intervention and all of those things kept me from feeling because I wasn't able to sit still long mm-hmm. enough to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so here I am two and a half years later, just realizing I need to deal with this. I need mm-hmm. to deal with this trauma. This is a lot. You know, we were at the point where we're talking about having another baby. And I'm like, I, I've got to deal with this because I don't want to take this yeah. fear into, you know, a, a whole new pregnancy. I don't want to take this into that because I want to be hopeful that all is going to be well. Yeah. So. Well, thanks for sharing that, Ebony. I think you're a really great example of just incredible resilience. I mean, even um, the strength it takes to, to really dig deep and have those revelations about yourself um, is just means that you're just incredibly self-aware and wise. Um, and, and not to mention you did all this while doing And She Shall Reign and sharing your story and being an advocate for um, mamas of color and help syndrome survivors, you know, and medically complex parents. I think all of that is just a testimony to you. Yes, it's fight or flight, but also it's, I'm going to get through the day. You're a survivor. You're for tough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's for tough. Absolutely. (laughs) I think you also, you know, we, we've had a couple of mamas of complex kiddos share on the podcast and I'm always just so grateful that you guys share so openly about, you know, cause I think from the outside world, we always just assume that when you come home is when the journey just gets happier. And it's like, Oh, that was the hard part, right? Like now from here on up, it's rainbows and it's typical newborn life. Right. <laughs> and I'm always so grateful to hear that there are still ups and downs after the NICU. And it really just um, is such an honor to hear that perspective of, you know, what it's like to be in and out of the hospital. Like you said, to schedule those therapist appointments, to manage all of the specialties. And just, it's really a reflection of your strength and how you advocate for RAIN. So thank you for just giving us a glimpse of, of that world. You know, that is why I started, um, really sharing the way that I did. Um, I think I told you guys before we started, I didn't start and she shall reign for this. I really started her page so that my family who is an hour or two or even further away could keep up with her NICU journey. Mm -hmm. That's originally why I started the page. Um, Even the name uh, it actually comes from a Christmas song. Um, It is actually an anthem. Um, It's called Hansel's Christmas, but it has a line that says, and he shall reign forever and ever. And it just stuck. And I was like, "Hmm, what if she shall reign? (laughs) And it just stuck. Um, So that became the name of the page. Um, But I found through different hashtags I was using, like 26-weeker, you know, NICU, whatever, I was finding other accounts and I was looking at other babies who had survived, who were 26 weeks, who were doing great, um, you know, who had left the NICU and, you know, were just thriving and they just looked like, you know, it, it was all a blur, you know? And I was like, wow, there's really life after this. And the more I shared, the more people found our page 
And before I realized mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. we had like our first thousand followers mm-hmm. at maybe four, five months. Wow. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Okay, <laughs> where'd all these people come from? Um, but, you know, I, I said, look, if we're going to be out here, let's show somebody the good, the bad, and the yeah, ugly. Because yeah. when I was looking for it, I didn't see it. I didn't have a real life example of that. No one in my family's ever had a premature baby. So I didn't have anybody to tell me this is the journey, this is how it goes. I went home thinking, just like you just said, everything's great we're great you know it's all rainbows it's all up from here but unfortunately life showed me something completely different so I want you know I I really just wanted to be candid you know Mm -hmm. in our life I didn't want to provide you know and I love this new like influencer culture I, I love it it has its place but I didn't want to be guilty of um whitewashing this experience to make it just like oh we're great we're mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. Oh, well. I yeah. just couldn't I want you to see the dirt I want you to see how hard this is I want you to see you know that we are coming up the rough side but that if we're doing it you know you can do it too yeah. strength yeah. is no respect or person if we can overcome this so can you mm-hmm. um and there you know and she shall rain grew from there because people wanted to see that you know that real thing like even now it's simple stuff like a new toy my daughter has I'll get like 15 dms what is that oh my god can you send me the link you know my child is behind in development could they use this could they use that and I'm like sure okay fine (laughs) um it was a while before I realized you know those resources aren't readily there these these examples aren't readily available in their real life and people are looking to social media not just to become friends but someone's you know sanity relies on knowing that they're not alone you know that they're you know not in this experience by themselves that they're not the first ones to experience it so that's become our you know our our mission and our daily goal just to share you know real life yeah yeah oh i have goosebumps Mm mm-hmm yeah you talk a little bit about your your husband and he sounds Awesome, by the way. I love the way that it sounds like he knows you super well and how he encourages you and supports you. I just wonder, you know, how has all of this changed your marriage and and what do you think about your marriage has has helped you both get through? I from the moment we knew that we were pregnant with Rain, I knew our marriage would never, ever, ever, ever be the same. I just could feel it, that particular, just the way that it happened. Um, I'm a big person about numbers. I don't like play numbers or not really into like astrology, but there are certain numbers that stick out to me. And five, anyone, you know, who does like biblical study or even in astrology, five is really like a number for grace. And grace is what I was really praying for to help us handle everything that was going to come our way with parenthood. And if our pregnancy wasn't going to be successful, the grace to heal, the grace to forgive myself, the grace to, you know, move on. And I felt like that grace just like spilled over into every area of our lives because we began to really, you know, dig deep. You know, when you marry someone, they're different. Two days later, it's not the same person you married two days before. Like we're all always evolving and growing Mm -hmm. and marriage is constantly getting to know 
you know, your partner, who you married, their likes, their dislikes. We've been together now 10 years. We've been married eight. And just watching his evolution um, as a parent has just been so amazing. It's trickled over into, you know, him just being an amazing protector. Like he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't show up a whole lot on As She Shall Rain, but he sees everything, <laughs> everything. Um, he's kind of like the silent driving force um, in the back. And I can honestly say Built for It Tough could not be a, a more fitting mantra for us because I feel like every time we are hit with a some sort of opposition, instead of allowing it to divide us, as many couples do, we just cling to each other. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we were best friends before we got married. I think mm-hmm. it made a huge difference um, in our marriage. So, you know, I, I joke all the time, oh, my husband's getting on my nerves. Where's my best friend? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, in and out of those, those tense moments. Um, but my husband is absolutely amazing. He's an amazing, amazing, amazing um, supporter of my dreams. He's a pusher of all of my aspirations. He is just amazing. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. I remember, I don't know what post it was, Ebony. I think you had posted like a selfie and he said something about how beautiful you were. I don't remember. It's kind of blurry in my head right now. But I remember being like, dang, he knows how to compliment her. Like he was just showering you with praise. Yeah, <laughs> it was we so fun. A little bit. We, we do flirt on there. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm like looking it up right now. I'm like, I got to see this. <laughs> you guys are so fun. Um, maybe to kind of, um, I feel like we could talk to you for two hours, Ebony, just because of the many layers. And also your your voice is so calming. I felt very calm this whole episode. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you could be like an audiobook voice and I would totally listen. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me if I was interested in doing, what is it, eight? ASMR or am I saying that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what? I don't even know what that is. I had to look it up. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Well, maybe to kind of close out the episode, I kind of want to allude back to that illustration that you talked about of the mom with her hand out of the water saying, okay, but I need help. So we have some some listeners that maybe aren't NICU mamas that are listening to just know how to better love and support their NICU families in their life. And so, you know, kind of looking at that illustration and in some of those moments when you really needed help, what would have been helpful in those moments? What would have been what you needed from loved ones or from family? While we were in the NICU, um, I'll start there. It would have been extremely helpful to be asked what we needed. I mm-hmm. find that when there are, you know, tragedies or stressful situations, people who are well-meaning will tend to take a back seat and not want to bother you. Mm-hmm. But I'm the kind of person when something's going on, you know, a, a word of affirmation or just to know, you know, that you're there means everything to mm-hmm. me. My same way uh, we had some people 
who kind of paid attention to our stories. There was a 24-hour Starbucks in our hospital where the NICU was. And we went there every day, twice a day. They knew our orders <laughs> verbatim uh, every single day. And someone sent me a Starbucks gift card. Mm. That was like the best gift. I was like, I don't need another bib. I don't need another onesie. <sighs> I need coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was like amazing. You know, that someone just paid attention to what was helping me get through that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was amazing. So paying attention to detail, asking, what can I do to help? Um, can I give you guys meal? Like we were eating, my husband and I gained about 20 pounds <laughs> because we were eating so unhealthily. I blame the hot bar at Whole Foods. <laughs> we were going across the street from the hospital and we were just like literally lunch, dinner, like that that was our life. We were eating out. Like I was going to the hospital at ten in the morning. We weren't coming home till like ten, ten thirty at night. We were just grabbing whatever was open and we were just doing it all over again. So I had someone said, Hey, can I make a meal for you? You know, can I can I, you know, pack you some snacks to take with you to the NICU? Little th- can I grocery shop for you, which is something I didn't do, which is why we were eating terribly mm-hmm. um we just didn't have time you know my, yeah. like I spent every moment there mm-hmm. with her so things like that just make a huge difference mm-hmm. and if ever you're in doubt just ask and mm-hmm. having people around you who can see when you're drowning who can see that there's a need is invaluable mm-hmm. yeah do you have any final thoughts that you wanted to share? Any final encouragement for any NICU mama listening today? Um, if there's a NICU mom listening, I want you to know that there is a village out there for you. It may not be the village that you're accustomed to. It may not be family or friends. I'm sure it is. But there's always, always a village of people out there who understand what you're going through, um, who are willing to help you and to aid you. For me, that family happened to be on social media. For you, it may be in a social group. But just know that there's someone out there who's been through what you've been through, who understands, and who will be willing to help you talk through the trauma, talk through the issues, and not judge you for how you feel, um, not put a limit on your healing. So continue to look for your tribe, stay positive, and keep fighting for your little one. Take care of yourself is the best thing you can do. Because if you're no good, you can't be any good for your baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, amen. That's <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> so mamas, to, re- to just piggyback off of what Ebony said, um, you're never alone. No matter where you are in your NICU journey, whether you're currently in the NICU, whether you are out of the NICU for years or days, just know that there's a sisterhood and a tribe of women who long to stand next to you as you grow and heal. And so especially in these times of isolation with COVID and this pandemic, just know that um, you don't have to do it alone. Even though we may not be able to be together virtually, the sisterhood exists on the interweb. (laughs) So Ebony, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. We could have talked to you for hours, but we're so grateful and we're just so proud of who you are and also just in awe of who Rain is. And so Thank you again for sharing your story and mamas. We'll chat again next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, 
please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.